The Sunday Grill with Crane and Crane Insurance. To compare motor and home insurance quotes across multiple different insurers, see craneandcrane.ie. And you are listening to the Sunday Grill special on diet culture. And a lot of you have been texting in questions to ask our three experts who are here today. They are therapists, Karen Holland, nutritional coach, personal trainer and Instagrammer. Is the Instagram your favourite bit here? <laughs> Do you get loads of free things, Natalie? <laughs> I'd rather the word Instagrammer or blogger than influencer. Anyway, you haven't answered so. where you get loads of free things, though. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> I would be okay with that. And also Instagrammer. Um, and uh, a bit of a Snapchatter at one stage where he, you were liking to do little comedy yeah, pieces. I was, but I put all my comedy pieces now onto Instagram. You need to go to TikTok, <laughs> I think. <laughs> um, you, t- you don't know what TikTok is? No, oh, I'm not up with the cool kids. It's the new thing. It's the new thing. So you are a nutritional coach and a, coach and a personal trainer as well. And you do something quite di- like interesting. You have a private Facebook page where there's a lot of discussion online from, is it mostly women who yeah, are trying so to have, you follow your plan? So I have cli- my clients, obviously male and female, I have private support groups for them because there's nothing like, so we say a female support group. They're all going through the same journey. So they all support each other. And like small things, they'll put up little things like how's, how's everyone doing today? And they all compliment mm. each other. And that's why I have that up. But I also have it there that I can come on and I can talk to mm. my clients only, you know, and give mm-hmm. them advice that I'm not giving out to everyone for free as well. Mm. But, of course. You know, yeah. But I think um, people going through the same journey, egging each other on, and I think it's a brilliant thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, I have a few questions from listeners um, about weight loss and muscle gain. And one of them is, um, what is best to eat before or after training to optimise weight loss or muscle gain? I remember the whole eat in the morning before you... No, sorry, exercise in the morning before you eat because you will optimise your metabolism and burn all day. No, you're shaking your head at me. <laughs> make a difference. Um, no, it doesn't make a difference. You're, when you're sleeping, your body is using fuel. So it's using glycogen as you sleep anyway. So it's your, your muscles are depleted. But it, it is going to depend on your calories anyway. And mm-hmm. your, if you're getting in, with, uh, if it's weight loss and you're getting in your adequate protein and your nutrients and that, but you're still in a deficit, it doesn't really matter what time as such, um, unless you're fasted for certain things, fasted cardio for certain yeah. different type of things. But you probably have the same take on it as well. It's Absolutely have the same take. I mean, the question there was what's best to eat for exercise for either weight loss or muscle gain. So they're, they're completely different goals there. Yeah, and exactly. at the end of the day, whatever the goal, it's individual dependent. So what works best for you? Do you actually work out better not eating in the morning well then don't eat before you exercise and go do your workout so none of these things will optimise just about eating or before or after your it's all about the individual okay it's all about the individual you're going to have to eat at some stage in the day don't eat a huge meal before you train because you're not going to be able to perform very well don't go in starving because you're also not going to be able to perform well make sure you're eating foods that will help you recover be the goal weight loss or Muscle gain. Okay. I think they're really important points, exactly. would you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is an interesting question because I think an awful lot of people have this sort of a lifestyle about small changes that you can make to your diet that A, don't cost a lot of money, but don't cost a lot of time. So if most of your day is spent in the car or in work, is it like, and this is another issue I have with social media, it's the prepping Sunday. Here I am with loads of plastic boxes making 20 turkey burgers that I'm going to throw in the bin anyway because I'm sick of turkey burgers. So what can what sort of small changes can you make? 
I suppose, listen, right, if, if I'm to give just three that you can walk away from today and say, yeah, that I can manage. Well, whether you eat two or you eat three or you eat four meals a day, because that works best for your schedule, balance that meal, number one. So by balance that meal, I mean have a wholesome carbohydrate, have a healthy lean protein source and have healthy fats. So what I usually say to people is, listen, if you're brand new to diet, go for a quarter wholesome carbohydrate, a quarter protein, two thumbs of healthy fats and then half just colour, loads of veg, Mm. actual wholesome food. What is healthy fat? What is healthy fat? Mm. So healthy fats and women are afraid of fat. Let me tell Mm. you that. And I used to be afraid of fat. Like I'm a woman, so this is not against the women out there. But I used to do it too. And now I have so much more and my hormones and my health is better because of it. So examples of healthy fats, nuts, um, nut varieties, nut butter, um, avocado, extra virgin olive oil is probably the best cooking oil you can use in my opinion. Um, salmon and mackerel okay. and they're omega-3s so second thing you could do have salmon twice a week mm-hmm. third thing drink a big glass of water first thing in the morning before you do anything else okay grand would you agree with those yeah features? I would agree with that and as well the water water is actually one thing that people seem to neglect a lot and people don't understand well the less water you drink the more your body's going to hold so like hydration is a massive thing and people like I'm walking around with a bottle here and you probably go around with bottles all the time you're drinking. But a lot of people don't and they get really dehydrated and drink loads of coffee all day. Mm-hmm. So hydration is a massive thing. Okay. If you can do just those two things, get vegetables in nearly every meal or half a plate of vegetables in two meals and drink more water. And this might be a bit of a topic that people don't want to hear, but your bowel movements, mm. they should be daily. The amount of clients that I'm sure we've all worked with that... It's weekly or it's fortnightly. That's not healthy, but we're starting to think it's healthy because the foods that we're eating and the lack of water is mm. causing this. So I suppose ask yourself that today. And if it's not daily, well, then do these little things to try and change it because that's health. Mm. That's where it starts. Mm. Um, Karen, mm-hmm. um, what do you think of this bad food? That's a bad food. That's a good yeah. food. How does that affect us when we're, if you're someone who is suffering from any type of disordered eating. Yeah, I think even without disordered eating, there's just no such thing as good or bad foods. Um, it is, I think, a term that um, is it was put on by people who really just didn't understand and maybe had a bit of fear around foods. Um, there are foods that we should eat in moderation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we need to go back to just simplicity and stop making things so complicated with food. Um, you know, if something is fresh, then that's good for you. If it has less ingredients and you understand the ingredients, go with that. Um, but just always like remembering that it, what you put in is what you get out and it's what you feel. Mm. So it's, it, but knowing that if the minute you say, oh, I'm eating a bad food, you're going to mm-hmm. feel guilt after. So mm. it's, it's just how you say things. And in terms of good foods, even that can lead into obsession. So saying you're only eating good foods, you know, there's two sides of the coin mm. there. But yeah, to answer your question, there's no good or bad foods. Mm. And then leading on from that, is that why we fail? Is that why at night time we think, right, tomorrow I'm going to be brilliant. I'm going to eat mm-hmm. 1,200 calories. And it, it's usually if you fail at that. Yeah, I think just the cycle of diet in general. So once you're restricted, what you can't, what you're telling yourself you can't have, you'll want. Um, you're probably eating way too less calories than your body mm. needs. So you're going to crave. Mm-hmm. Um and the binge cycle then can can start. And once that happens, then it's very hard to pick yourself back up mm. from that. But also this thing of, you know, January's diet. Mm-hmm. Why not the 12th of December? Mm. Why not the 20th of June? Like, mm. you know, why not any time to cr- create your health? And it 
if you fail on a Wednesday and I would even just reword the word fail, maybe, you know, because even fail, I suppose, is, mm. a, is a, a bad word to be using. Um, but if you fail on a Wednesday, why not just start fresh on a yes, Thursday instead of Monday? Um, and what you're saying there is quite interesting about health. Do you find a lot of your clients are coming about their health or is it more about I want to fit into that dress or into that suit? For me, it's kind of 50-50 or to be honest, more so it is going a little bit towards health for me these days. But that is because I've changed my own personal Mm. blogging message, you could say. When I was sharing a different message, I didn't get one person that was looking to improve their Mm. health. Again, some great points there. Thanks a million. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. If you didn't know it, Gar Campion is the greatest hurler in the world of Ireland. Tony Kelly is bringing his award-winning web series to Gartelaine in Waterford with a little help from award-winning playwright Jim Noel and all the award winners. They're both here this morning to talk to us about it. You're both very welcome. Hey, you're Laura. Now, I think the last time we talked to you, you were going abroad with the hurler. You had been nominated for a few bits and bobs. I talked to you so much, Orla. It's hard for me <laughs> to remember. But we did. Uh, I talk, I did speak to you one time when I was going abroad mm-hmm. with the hurler. Yeah, I, um, it's one. Of, in fairness, the, the web series was quite successful. It won, it won um, a few awards for me in America and all over the place like that. So, um, okay. yeah, that was a thing. When did it become something that was going to be a web series and then go to stage? Because I suppose most people do it the other way around, don't they, Jim? Mm. Mm. I don't know anything. I'm nodding mm, as if I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> the web, uh, the, I have no idea, but I'd never heard of Gar Campion until... Okay. Yeah, I'm just, I'm of an age, as they okay. say. Uh, I can barely turn on the phone. So what did Tony do then? Did he send you over a few of the episodes of The Hurler? I did listen to them uh, or watch them after I'd got the script, but my first okay. contact with it was uh, from Tony. Tony and Pat Daly, who's a playwright that I've worked with okay. a lot, uh, approached me and asked me would I be interested in directing the stage version. And I had heard of Gar Campion, the, the web thing. I, I can't even say web, web with series. any great authority. <laughs> and they said, you probably knows from the web, you know Gar. And I was going, yeah, 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 yeah I lied yeah, to yeah, my yeah, teeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they sent me, they knew I was lying and they sent me the, the web <laughs> stuff. Serious. Was so it? you really came from a, from the traditional way. You weren't thinking, oh, I, I'll, I'll look at this web series for absolutely. a bit of research. How will I adapt clue. it to the stage? No, no. I go on Facebook for work purposes. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about that world. It's okay. just, it's an appalling last lock. I, I don't even... know about that. I think there's plenty of people who would not would like to know a lot less about that world yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. but I t- t- truthfully, it was probably good as a director that I didn't wasn't familiar yeah. with it. I did mm. watch them just to familiarise yeah. myself and I was glad I did and it was terrific stuff. Mm. But I basically have a script to turn into a play with Tony and, and so it was good in that that I wasn't really, uh, you know, too infiltrated yes. by the web thing. Yes. Yeah. And is it different to the web series? Yeah. Because there's a lot of people and a lot of familiar faces in the hurler, isn't there? There's a lot of yeah. side characters. Yeah, no, it's it, this is a one man show. Okay. The, the subheading is an audience with Gar Campion. Mm-hmm. So it is it's it's you, it's the it's the public meeting Gar, I suppose, face to face for mm-hmm. the first time. It's a different story from the web series. It's the same character. Um if you've seen the web series, you'll know it's a story of Gar falling in love with this girl who we can't have for the first time in his life and mm-hmm. how his life falls apart because of it. Um, this is kind of this is actually a story I wrote for a screenplay mm-hmm. that got quite far into the production stages and then stalled and then went again and stalled and the frustration of that kind of bore me to think well you know what let's just do this same story as a play mm-hmm. uh, kind of amalgamating stand up and the previous series and a, and a one man show all in one and making a play from it Okay. so I kind of asked Pat Daly what would he think of doing it Pat's a, a playwright here in Ward for a very successful playwright as well and a guy who I, I love his work I respect his work a lot 
And Pat said, well, I think this is how it would work as a play. And I said, well, would you like to adapt the screenplay with me as a stage play? And he said, yeah. So we spent a couple of months doing that. Then we got Jim. And now here we are a couple of weeks out and I'm bringing Gar to life for the first time in, in person. So tell us where we meet Gar. Where do we come in on this? Do we don't we don't really need to know the web series then? No, you don't. That's okay. that's essential. I think. I mean, I, it mm. wouldn't be fair to ask people to you know you watch it. No, I mean, if people have seen it and like Gar or like the idea of Gar, then great, come and see it. But if you haven't, it's it's not a big deal either. Uh, this new story for Gar is he's now the first hurler in the history of the game to fail a drug test. Okay. So he's the first ever hurler to get banned for taking performance-enhancing drugs. Okay. And then he gets an offer to try and rebuild his shattered um, career, I suppose, by moving to America to coach a gang of misfits. Okay. So that's where we meet him. And that's where we meet him, yeah. Okay. All right. Who, what, what is Gar like, would you say, Jim? How would you describe him? He's very much like Tony. <laughs> <laughs> There's a huge uh, ego at work. Oh, there you go, Tony. Uh, no, it's a great you character. You never will have an ego with no. Jim around. Uh, it's, I tell you what they have in common uh, is they're both fairly ballsy, if I may say. Mm. Um, and, and like Tony in, person, in his personal life is very self-effacing and all the rest of it. But as a professional... Uh, like he knows what he needs to do to make his career work. I mean, mm. I'm talking about Tony. Mm. And Gar has, you know, th- that's no more than good application of, you know, I'm not hiding your light behind a bushel. Mm. And and this audience with Gar Campion. So there are sort of overlaps between the two. Uh, as for the character, I, he's an obnoxious git, Gar <laughs> Campion, in my view. Yeah. But <laughs> absolutely magnetic to watch uh, and great fun to watch. Okay. It's a brilliant character. Could and just we compare as a, him to anyone? Is there anyone in the world of... I'm pa- kind of half thinking of, of Russell Carroll Kelly type stuff. I don't know what that is. With a southeast slant. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the Russell Carroll Kelly thing, mm. so I can't. He would be an obnoxious git. I, yeah. yeah. I always say he's my Alan Partridge or he's okay. my David Brent. Yeah, so he truly believes in himself, but he probably shouldn't believe in himself himself as much as he does. No, but I think what it is is he is as good at hurling as he thinks he is, okay. but he's just not as... He has to have a full personality. He can't just be good at a sport and think that's right. your personality. And I think maybe I've seen a bit of that growing up mm-hmm. and uh, adapted that maybe into the character mm. a little bit. But there's a lot of people in Gar, including myself, by the way. It's, mm-hmm. you know... But uh, I always say, like, he's a living and breathing person to me. Like, And when people come and see the show in Gar Lane on the 5th, 6th and 7th of March, Tony Kelly won't be in the theatre at all. Even when I come out for the... the hopefully the bow or whatever at the end... I'm never in the theatre. It's always Gar. Gar. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. Do you like Gar? Yeah, I have to. I don't think, like, I'm, uh, I think if you're playing a character, you have to at least empathise with them. You can't dislike a character in any role. But uh, yeah, I like Gar because I know the ins and outs of him. I know what's really behind the law. You know what's motivating him. I think the distinction him. is if in the real world one might, you mightn't be too fond of him. No. But yes. as somebody to go and watch 70 minutes, uh-huh. spend 70 minutes with on the stage or in a, in a theatre, uh, it's good fun. And it's like it's what you story. were just saying about the um, David Brents and the Alan Partridges mm. of the world. There's something so cringeworthy about them and oh, their yeah. over-the-top super belief of themselves. Yeah. But they're Egypts. Yeah. yeah, but I think as well, it's the, the, the key to it is you have to root for them as well. Okay. And I think there's a... I think maybe I'm wrong, but I think there's a certain... When you see the cracks in Gar's bravado, you kind of root for him. Mm. They are, and it's the same with those other characters. Mm. I think that you, totally. you kind of there's something going on. There's, for some reason, I think people get behind them. Mm. Well, you're the fifth to the seventh of March in Gartelane. Gartelane.ie is the website. Do you think it'll travel well, or is it a purely not even southeast but Waterford type? There's no, it's play? not. It's nothing to do with Waterford. Mm. There's no, like there's not even a Waterford accent involved okay. in it. And I mean, as we said, like when we started the interview. This has gone to America. It's been on TV in America. Mm. I've won 
a lot most the majority of awards that I won for the hurler were in America. For some reason the Americans took the car. Right. Maybe it's the bravado. I think so. But um no, I, I look I'm not going to lie and say that we have plans to only do it for three nights in Waterford. Mm-hmm. This is a, a testing ground to see what we can do with it. Um, but no, it's absolutely, once you enter the theatre, you can be anywhere in the world. I think it's nothing to do yes. with Waterford. It's it's very much a, a worldwide story. But you see New York in there, you see Ireland, you know, it's most it's it's more in New York, I think, than anywhere else. Mm. Fab, looking forward to it. And of course, you had a very Waterford play that did phenomenally well recently with Red Iron too. That's right. Any plans yeah. for that in the no, um it's, it's been a lot of talk about bringing it back because so many people missed mm. it, but uh, that's an expensive business. And once you stand them down, you have to re-rehearse with actors. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's unlikely we'll see it again. It was oh. uh, a once-off. Okay. I think so, yeah. But we had great fun with it, yeah. Brilliant. Well, Thanks, in the Ola. meantime, The Hurler, the fifth the 7th of March in Garterlane. Garterlane.ie is the website. We could talk all day because you're a wrestling commentator. I don't even know what. Hmm. You seem to just be on the road to Dublin constantly. Are yeah, you, I live on that M9. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks a million Thanks, for coming Orla. in. Jim Nolan and Tony Kelly. Thanks, Thanks Orla. Orla. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. Okay, I want to play you a clip of a movie that is out this weekend with some real bizarre Southeast connections. I've committed to jihad. And uh, she was gone. Sometimes my sister could carry it to the bar corners. I don't like her. I don't like his mama for what she did to him, what she did to you. One day they came bustling through the door. I can't remember anything from there on. The first white female jihadist ever arrested. The new face of terrorism. The terror investigation that stretches from Colorado to Ireland. Yes, and when they say Ireland, that Ireland is here in the southeast in Waterford. That is a documentary film. It was released on Valentine's Day called Jihad Jane, and it tells the story of two American women called the New Face of Terrorism. It's a debut feature for Kieran Cassidy, and he joins me on the phone this morning. You're very welcome to the Sunday Grill. Thanks very much for having me. Um, this is getting great reviews, and it's the end of eight years of work for you, Kieran. How did it all start? Um, it actually started, I was uh, working at RTE and I was working at their documentary on one uh, po- uh, documentary podcast department. And uh, the story, the arrest happened in March 2010 and it was kind of worldwide news. And it was, I say it was massive news in Waterford, but it was massive news in Ireland. Mm. But it was also the biggest story in America that day. And I, it all centered around two American women uh, who had been in Waterford and had been um, involved in a plot to mur- murder a Swedish cartoonist. And um, I suppose the thing that kind of intrigued me or brought me into it was when the indictments were unsealed of the two women. It, it told it told the indictments told you everything that happened before they got on the plane to come to Waterford. Okay. Um, but it never told you about what happened in Waterford. Mm. And you, so you could see all the communications, all the plan, all the conspiring. You know how it, it began, who was t- talking to 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 how things escalated and how they came up with this kind of a plot to murder the Swedish cartoonist, and then them deciding to leave America and come over. So you can see this all in the indictment, and it was all written down in their uh, communication, uh, mainly through YouTube uh, Messenger apps. But, um, but there was nothing, nothing really in um, the indictment about Waterford. Okay. So the first very interesting about it was what these people um, met up, because it clearly hadn't gone that well for Colleen, because she had left and got arrested. So what exactly went on? So I was just kind of intrigued in a lot of the questions that were behind it. They had pleaded guilty, so you weren't going to find out from the court case 
Mm-hmm. So it was just kind of a case then of just tapping away at the story and following up with people, trying to get a kind of insight of what actually was going on. And Colleen is Colleen LaRose, and she comes from a very, um, well, there's nothing typical about an American family, but almost, um, you know, her family is 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 quite very, very American, isn't it, really? Well, well Colleen LaRose would be very kind of unusual, and that's why the news media and everybody got very excited about the story. That you know, she was forty-seven years of age, blonde hair, blue eyes, mm. and she spoke with a very southern, you know, Texas yeah. uh, accent. She's very affable, very personable. She's warm, you know. She'd be good personality if anybody met her, you know. But the thing that was really struck out about her, Colleen, when you kind of start looking into her backstory, Colleen had a pretty tough, tough life—a very, very hard life. And it all kind of culminated in her meeting a guy, moving to a rural part of Pennsylvania, him being on the road, and her spending maybe nine hours a day on the internet, day after day, day after day, and more and more isolated and more and more down the rabbit hole. And it's kind of been, that's where her troubles began. Okay, and she radicalized. We hear this story so much, but I, I suppose the really bizarre part about it is that as you said, she ended up in the southeast of Ireland in Waterford with another woman as well. But Colleen is the Jihad Jane, is that right? Or the two women? Yeah. Co- yeah. No, no, yeah, Colleen. Like, like, the thing about it is, like, in fairness, like, one of the things is, like, like the, one of the reasons the case was so sensational was just the name Jihad Jane. And this wasn't a name that the media had given it to her or prosecutors. Colleen had made it up for herself. And just the name was very catchy. Uh-huh. It kind of caught on in online communities, so people knew her as Jihad Jane. And she had millions of other usernames. Like okay. don't like, but but Jihad Jane was the one that kind of stuck out. So when she was arrested and when you know she was uh, being prosecuted, this is what kind of it was a headline writer's dream. So that's what, it really kind of put rocket fuel behind the story, kind mm-hmm. of really pushing it up into the top of a uh, item all across the globe. Yeah, and you so got to talk to was, her. Yeah, we got to, like, we, what happened was we waited for years and we did the dock and we'd sit, we talked to her when she was in prison on phone lines, but it just wasn't the same. So we decided mm-hmm. we held off, like, the film for about a year, a year and a half uh, until she got out of prison. Uh, and so when she was getting out of prison in Tallahassee in Florida, we were there waiting for her. And um, she was actually bundled at the back of the door, uh, back of the prison. And then we got a call from her defense attorney to go up there. And when we arrived up within minutes, the local sheriff's department had arrived up in a couple of vans. And it was all, it was all very, uh, it was all very kind of sketchy, you know. Um, uh, and we thought for a second that she was going to get rearrested again because she's in prison clothes. Like what she's wearing in the film is prison clothes. Okay. But what happened was then we, we, we basically traveled across America with her for the documentary. Uh, and as she told her story and told us about what happened in Waterford uh, before she met her parole officer on the Monday, you know. So mm-hmm. we were able to kind of... Um, kind of get a, a kind of like, he was uh, kind of moved beyond the headline with wow. it. What a story. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of, um, it's just, I, I think the thing about it is it's just um, such an unusual story. I think like it, it, it's very much in the sense that like everybody ended up at Waterford but it was a, it was a, it was a 15 year old kid from Baltimore who had Asperger's. Mm-hmm. There was uh, Jamie from Colorado. There was also, um, Colleen from uh, Philadelphia, and I, I think there would be other people who were kind of communicating left, right, and centre. But it would, really wouldn't have happened fifty or sixty or seventy. This was kind of it was fueled this whole conspiracy by alienation and the internet, mm. and somehow they all ended up um, meeting in Waterford. And I think mm. that's when reality kind of struck them. When you know, I think they'd 
kind of created alter egos and they've um, told stories about themselves and they felt you know, like there was a kind of an online um, fantasy concerning it. But once they arrived in Waterford, I think reality really kicked mm. in. The reality of Ali Sharaf Damash's situation, mm-hmm. I think. And he he married Jamie Paul and Ramirez on the first day. And then I think just things deteriorated very, very quickly. Wow, okay. Great, so we find it all out in the documentary film Jihad Jane. It is out in Waterford, in the Omniplex in Waterford as we speak, but check listings for it because it has been released in lots of cinemas around Ireland and more as the weeks go on because there's a lot of interest in it. Kieran, congratulations. Thank you so much for talking to us this morning. No, no, thank you very much, all of us. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. Well, Waterford Rape and Sexual Abuse Centre are looking for volunteers to provide on-call support for the Sexual Assault Treatment Unit, which is located at University Hospital, Waterford. It's part of their 24-7 call-out service. Anne Scully is manager of that centre and she's here this morning. You're very welcome back to the Sunday Grill. We've chatted to you, God, it feels like, it probably was years ago, Anne. Yeah, I would think it was at this point, <laughs> yes. But it is good to see you again. Thank you. This is a tough tough subject for many people. Absolutely. Um, but you are asking for volunteers. Yes. And we have in the past asked, whenever we've asked for volunteers, we've had a marvellous response. Um, and why is that? Do people explain why they want to help? Uh, for some of them, it's because it has touched on their lives in some way. And so um, and perhaps the person that it affected most has got help and they want to give something back as they see it. But also, I think it's a hugely rewarding role. Um, for for our volunteers and they would all say that that uh, tough it can be tough obviously and it can be draining um, but that they get so much back out of it and that the feeling of having helped somebody at one of the worst times in their lives is hugely satisfying for them. And for the support calls are you mostly hearing from people who are at the start of this crisis in their lives at this traumatic event or can people call in months later or need a little bit of help in the middle of recovery the I suppose there's the the sexual assault treatment unit is where people go in the aftermath of an attack so um, they go there's three strands to it now it has developed over the years that it's been uh, in existence so they can go immediately afterwards Um, they may be reporting to the Gardaí they may not that's entirely up to them um, and they can also go um, if they're if they're not reporting to the Gardaí, they can go because the uh, unit it's a holistic unit. So there's a team there which includes one of our um, psychological support volunteers, and um, so they're looked after medically, and they're looked after emotionally, and they may also be looked after forensically if they are taking a case. Okay. And you can just present yourself there. You actually need to phone. Okay. Yeah, it's probably best to phone. Now mm-hmm. you can phone. You can phone our centre, you can phone the unit itself or um, obviously you can go through the Gardaí. Um, but a new strand to it that has come into being in the last few years is that if people are not sure whether they want to report or not, their forensic evidence can be taken and stored for 12 months while they make up their mind. Oh, okay. Which takes pressure off them um, mm. in a very difficult situation. And I think the year that was introduced, last uh, mid-2018, approximately 10% of the people who attended units around the country chose that option. Okay. And then holistically, you said? Yes, it's a team um, approach and it works very well as a team. So the team consists of um, a doctor or a clinical nurse specialist. We now have forensic nurses essentially uh, trained and uh, Waterford has two of those. So we have a a doctor, nurse and um, the on-call volunteer. Um, The on-call volunteer is there purely and solely for the survivor um, and their family and friends if they're there with them as well to give them support, to give them information, because obviously 
it's a hugely distressing and stressed situation. And so people wonder what's going to happen next or what will happen if I do this or what will happen if I do that. And the volunteer is there to answer those questions and also to reassure them that they can get through this um, to reiterate that it's not their fault. They didn't do anything to cause it. And um, and to, to clearly say, you, you know, help is there. They'll refer them on. Um, the unit actually services the whole of the southeast. Mm. So it's the, the volunteer will give them information about their nearest rape crisis centre. Mm hmm. Um, and we'll refer them on there as well okay. for where, where they can go for help. And how many of them are in the southeast? How many? Rape crisis centres. Oh, there are five. There's five. Yeah, so there's Waterford, Wexford, Tipperary, Tipperary, Carlow and Kilkenny. That's great to hear. Yeah, yeah. Are survivors mostly women? Um, uh, the majority of them going through the unit would be. Um, our own centre obviously sees both men and women. Um, about approximately 20% of the rape crisis centres clients would be male. Mm-hmm. Um, the numbers are much lower in the sexual assault treatment unit. And I think okay. that's because it's much more difficult for men to come forward mm, as well. Of course. Yeah. And um, let's talk about this volunteer role. What sort of a person do you need to be? Uh, somebody, I would say, who's grounded, somebody who's calm. The ability to be calm, obviously, is a good one. And somebody who's who has empathy for other people. Essentially, that's it. It's as simple as that. They don't have to have any training. Some people will, some won't. Some will have worked in, you know, in a related area. Um, but they actually don't have to have. We're looking for people who, as I said, are grounded, have some common sense, are calm and empathic. And you will train them? We will train them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is it good for people who might be studying in a certain kind of caring yes, environment? it can be. Mm. Um, it depends on the, the, their ability to commit to it, if mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Mm. And also, I suppose, um, because people who are studying are either studying here and heading home for holidays or are oh, away. Yeah. So you need them yeah. in the summer, of course, That's, as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's it's the unit is open every day of the year. And what are you committing to once a week? Not even once a week, perhaps. Um, generally, the way it works is the volunteer is on call for maybe three shifts a month. OK, so on call means they're available to go to the unit if they get that phone call. And 24 so, seven available on that day. 24. Yeah, okay. um, the um, the weekends, people tend to take 24 hour shifts. And then uh, during the week, it tends to be from five in the evening until 9 a.m. the following morning. OK. Um, calls during the day come into the centre and we organise a volunteer to go out then. OK. It's great to hear all those services are here in the Absolutely. southeast. Yeah. Um, how can people get in contact if they'd like to volunteer or like more information? They can email us at info at waterfordrsac.ie. It's a bit of a mouthful. Okay. Uh, or they can contact us. Our free phone number is one eight hundred two nine six two nine six. Give us that free phone number. Again, it's probably the easiest one. One eight hundred two nine six two nine six. And is that the number you also ring if you're if you someone want who's experienced yeah, absolutely, or somebody, or you know somebody who's experienced? Our okay. services are available to family and friends as well. Okay, so that's one eight hundred two nine six two nine six. And it was lovely to see you again. Thank you, Orla. As you said, you get lots of responses to this. So, yes. and we have seen that. I think in the last few months, people are so kind and they really want to help. So um, good luck with us and I'm sure I'll talk to you again soon. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. The biggest day in love's calendar is almost upon us. No, I'm not talking about Valentine's Day. You've missed that by now. It's Beat's Wedding Day 2020. It's taking place at the Hub in Killen Hill in Kilkenny on Sunday, March the 1st. And it's the largest wedding expo in the southeast and a way for you to organise your special day in one trip. One of those people who could help as an extra edge to your big day is my next guest Julie Nolan is JS Designs and she started her creative business after her own wedding four years ago and Julie's here this morning you're very welcome to the Sunday Grill Thanks a million for having me Orla it's a pleasure to be here Let's go back to 2016 a busy time for you you were getting ready to get married Yeah. 
What did you do with your own illustrations on your own wedding day? Well, to be honest, a lot of it for myself was a very personal thing at the time. Um, I created some illustrations for our flower girl. She would be um, my husband's niece. So when we asked her to be the flower girl, I created a little card and it was an illustration of her. And then also for my two sisters, they were my bridesmaids. So as part of their Will You Be My Bridesmaid gift, I created an illustration of what I imagined the three of us would look like Gorgeous. on my big day. And was that your Will You Be My Bridesmaids card that you handed them? Um, it was an illustration that I had framed. But lovely. since then, the cards have developed on from Brilliant. that. Yeah. So you're, did, did they put them up somewhere? I hope they're in their house. They the are indeed. Good. They're on display. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to hear. And what were the reactions to it? Complete surprise. And I think it was the element of such a personal touch that really got them. They were very emotional with it because there's so many ways now to ask people to be part of your special day. Mm. that This was something a lot of time and thought went into. Um, So I I found that even throughout the last few years that a lot of people really respond because it's so personal to them. And describe your illustrations. They have a very particular look to them, don't they? Yeah, it's... A very fashion illustration type of stylized look. Mm. Um, I do a lot in terms of the hair to make it personal to the people and obviously the clothes. Um, my general style would be quite similar throughout. I have my own look with the style of the facial expressions. Mm. So mm. I think that's something that people like. They can find themselves in something that's the same Theme throughout all and that of is very stylish yeah, looking exactly. as well. So that was your wedding. You did it for yeah. your, um, as you said, your flower girl and your two bridesmaids. Yeah. When did you start to get the inkling of, oh, this could actually be a business idea for me? It was a good bit of time after I got married myself. I found I had a lot of free time. I wasn't planning a wedding anymore and you get so consumed in it mm. because it's such an important time in your life. So I found myself at a bit of a loss after work. I started doing them myself and just posting them on my own personal page. I never had the intention of making it a business Mm -hmm. or being anything more than just a hobby. Um, So when I started posting them on my own personal page, it was just random illustrations that I thought up of myself, different themes. And the response I got was amazing. I had so many of my own friends asking if they could order something themselves and it all kind of took off from there. It was Mm. the support and the, I suppose the way people reacted to it that kind of gave me the idea and so many people were telling me to try it and to mm-hmm. give it a go. Mm. Um, following that, then I did some of Irish bloggers and influencers. They reposted them and it just took off from there. It blew so, up. It yeah. always does. Um, and then what are, when it comes to weddings, I know you do lots of different events in people's lives, but when it comes to weddings, what are people mostly looking for when it comes to your illustrations? It varies depending on if it's a gift for the bride. So I've done a lot of um, engagement illustrations, then illustrations of the bride and groom as a gift for people that would be going to the wedding. There's a lot from the bride to her bride squad, full illustrations. She'd send me on the pictures of their dresses and the pictures of them and I'd do them up. Um, and then I suppose what's taken off in the last year has been live illustrations. Okay. So oh, you're at the wedding? At the wedding. Ah. Yeah. So it's an event at the wedding. It's a entertainment piece. I would be at the drinks reception when they come back after the church or when the ceremony is over, if it's on in the we- in the hotel. And I'm set up there. Guests come up to me. I create live illustrations in front of them. 
and they get to keep it as How their wedding favour. Did you suggest it to someone or did someone ask you to do that? Somebody messaged me asking, is that something that I would do? They had seen it from some another illustrator in America. Yeah, I've and been at a wedding where there was a caricature artist. Yes, yeah. exactly. So I think um, the caricatures are amazing and mm. they really capture each person's features. Mm. This is just slightly different because it's, it's a different look. Yes. That's essentially mm. what it is. It's a very but fashion look. As you very said. fashion, mm. yeah. But it just really took off from there. So when th- when it was first suggested to me, I was thinking, God, how would I do this? And a little bit nervous because I've always had time to create the illustrations and I go back and show people the pencil sketches and they come back and if there's any tweaks we made. So this was something that was done live. People were watching. A mm. little bit nervous of it, but it just took off. And I love it. I get to meet people. Um, they love whether they're watching whether they're getting one done of themselves mm. it just seems to be a fantastic thing to have at and is a that usually a kind of the pre-drink stage when you're waiting yeah. for the dinner yeah exactly yeah. so I would generally be there for when they arrive have their drinks have their canapes and then I'm there until the dinner bell is called any other unusual requests um I've had a couple for the day after the wedding to Lovely. have something going on there like a lot of people might be a little bit tired after mm-hmm. dancing the night away mm-hmm. the previous day. Tired so emotional. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been something like that. Um, I've had a few. I actually had the strangest one was from a groom. Well, he was actually proposing to his fiance. So he asked me to do it and to do up a bridal illustration of them in a random wedding dress in a random suit. Mm-hmm. And that's how he proposed. Oh, wow. So that was something very special to be included in such a massive question <laughs> okay that's lovely and then obviously with the other events what sort of events are you illustrating um there's been a couple of baby showers mm. which has been great it's such a personal time m- new mum to be and be there for that and i have done some corporate events beauty events as well lovely um i've also done some work for various irish brands as well just getting some great. illustrations for their marketing and is art your background um this is like a running joke in my family. It's not really. I've always been very interested in art. Mm. I never studied art. It's just something that I always did. Even looking back, my mum actually pulled out my old storybooks for my daughter now. And all of my storybooks were coloured in. I coloured over everything. <laughs> all the lipstick, the dresses, everything was meant to be changed. Um, so I've always had an interest in it. It's always something I've done. Even through college, I used a lot of my artwork in my college work but I've just always had a passion for it oh, lovely and is this now your your job this is what you're doing mostly this is something that I'm putting a lot of effort into at the moment I'm I feel that there might be potential there it took a long time it's hard mm. to have that confidence to keep pushing mm, it but I've had such as well it is and it's it's to be honest it's the people pushing me it's mm. people saying that they love it it's my customers coming back to me from multiple illustrations after it's the feedback I'm getting from the weddings I just truly love it lovely gorgeous well you can check out some of your designs on Instagram if you go js underscore designs ie is where you'll find Julie Nolan's designs and get an idea of what she does but you're also going to be as we said at the wedding day at Killen Hill in the hub on March the 1st what can people can come and chat to you and yeah yeah I'm gonna have um, my stand set up to show some previous illustrations and um, to show the live illustrations, I'll have some examples of what I've produced at other weddings and any questions they may have if they have something that I haven't spoken about or if they have any thoughts. I'm open to all suggestions and just to chat to make their day 
a little bit more special. Lovely. Well, thanks a million for coming in, Julie. And that Instagram again, if you want to check it out, if you search for JS underscore designs, i.e., you'll see those illustrations. But as I said, if you want to see Julie in person, she will be at the wedding day 2020 on March the 1st is when it kicks off for the day. And you can get more details on that on our website, beat102103.com forward slash wedding day. Julie, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you very much for having me. The Sunday Grill Movie Munchies with Odeon Waterford. Action or comedy, sci-fi or rom-com with a choice of eight screens. There's a film with your name on it. More at odeoncinemas.ie Well, if you like your fantasy adventure and Robert Downey Jr., then Doolittle might be the movie for you. It's called The Voyage of Dr. Doolittle. It is full of animals, as you expect with Dr. Doolittle. But are they the real thing? And is this the real thing? Well, Darren will tell us after we have a listen to this. My God! Uh, just clearing the way. Is that armor? You got the old Spanish army in you. Give us a deep breath. <gasps> Hold it. Uh, word of warning. What's up, Doc? When we're moving the blockage, you'll see now. There may be an uh, initial release of wind. Now, do little. You had so many options this week and I feel a bit bad. I mean, <laughs> I've, I've seen people on social media saying my kids love do little, but I took my phone out and did a lot of emailing during it. Oh, no, really? you look you look like you loved it. Oh, I absolutely love this film. Like <laughs> it was just it, it was pure, like just pure fantasy the whole way through. Like Darren, why do I know Dr. Doolittle? Was there like a cartoon when we were kids? No, there was an Eddie Murphy film a couple of years ago. Okay. And I, I, I honestly think they, they went through about two or three sequels, if not more. Okay, so they, that they was went it. through a few. Like, So tell us, for people who don't know who Dr. Doolittle is, give us the gist. So the way they actually explain it, it's very, very, very well done. It's like they run through a backstory in about five minutes at the very start of the film, which is the whole... Dr. Doolittle had an amazing ability to talk to animals and understand them. Mm. But it was actually, the way they explained it was, it was down to an unnatural ability of observation and linguistics. So like he just kind of, it wasn't so much that he was talking to them, it's that he he just understood what they were doing, Mm. what they wanted. And it was just, all this backstory happens. It's a really kind of hand-drawn kind of of water paint kind of, cartoon at the very start of it. And then all of a sudden you kick into it. type stuff. Oh yeah, it's just they kick into a, a lot of backstory in a very very quick amount of time but then it's like he's a bit of a hermit because his wife was lost at sea and she was the the reason he kept going so it kind of kicks off with him not wanting to help anyone mm. and this little little young fellow I'd say he's about 14 he, he injures a squirrel and then the parrot takes him off to the, the sanctuary and then it all kicks off it's, it's, it's kind of a snowball effect it's proper like just I just thought it was a really good kind of family film. It's just, there wasn't a a convoluted plot. It was like, little thing happens, but then the whole adventure snowballs Mm -hmm. after that. And all of a sudden then, the queen has been poisoned and they have to go off on this big fantastical journey to get a fruit that no book has said ever exists on an island that nobody's been to. It's just really, it's really, really fantasy stuff now. Okay, so it's a family movie, you would say. Oh yeah, it's proper, proper family. Like nothing, nothing bad happens at all. There was, there was one scene where someone it's implied that they're kind of killed off mm. but it just shows all of the rest of the cast just going ooh <laughs> so it's just properly done but, okay but like, I like the sound of it uh, mm. let's talk about the amount of stars in it in oh, yeah. the actual human being stars we don't have that many but when they come mm. about they are really massive actors and actresses Antonio yeah. Banderas is in there yep. Jim Broadbent is in there yeah. um, Joanna Page 
There's such an ama- Sorry, I even forgot to mention Michael Sheen. Michael Sheen, yeah. Wow. Okay. And then the voices, though, the voices of the animals. Is there a particular oh. animal who stands out in this? There's not actually like when when I was thinking about it, like the whole ad kind of portrays Robert Downey Jr. But mm. I felt that the animals were the main character in themselves because no one kind of took center stage the whole way through mm-hmm. it. Each animal gets their own little part all the way through it. Like they kind of do focus on four or five of them roughly where there's like there's a polar bear, there's a gorilla, an ostrich, a parrot. And what else was there? there was a giraffe. Some, a giraffe. There's a fox. There's a fox. Oh, the fox is French, actually. It's very funny in the, in the film. Now, can I... And the fox is Marianne, Marianne um, Coutard, who is a huge French yeah. actress. Um, let's... Uh, I go to Frozen and I think things like that. And yeah. I was watching the Oscar red carpet and a really familiar actor whose name I can't remember was interviewed and he was Olaf in Frozen. And oh, I was Josh like, Gad. That's it. Yeah. And I was like... I, I just don't get voices. Mm. But these are very distinctive voices. Like Emma Thompson is yeah. a macaw in this. Would you have straight away said, there's Emma Thompson? Yeah, very, very you, you get that kind of well-spoken, the way, just the way she speaks. She's just yes. very well-spoken English accent. Last year's Best Actor Oscar winner, uh, Rami Malek, is an obnoxious but noble gorilla. Yes, he's he, he's a gorilla with confidence issues and kind of not even a confidence it's more kind of scared he's just constantly scared and he has a little blue blanket that kind (laughs) of gives him comfort like this and then ex-wrestler now actor John Senna he's in there as well as a polar bear Um, I would not have have pictured him as the polar bear because he's one of the main characters and the whole way through it he's just he he doesn't he doesn't portray don't John Cena's kind of like Mm kind of boisterous attitude where it's like yeah it's me mm. it's like no he's really and I often find down. with things like this like I can imagine as a polar bear he's a large man I always mm. think that they give them the characters that they actually are physically as well like Selena mm. Gomez is in here as a friendly giraffe yeah. <laughs> and Ralph Fenz is a ferocious tiger uh, and Octavia Spencer is a duck with a wooden leg yeah dab dab wow. dab dab the duck Wow, they spent a lot of money on their <laughs> actors. Was it worth it? Oh, it definitely was. Like, I, I came away from that film. Like, the, the writing was so well. How the animals just bounced off each other. Mm. It's almost like Dr. Doolittle was an accompaniment to the animals. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the ads, it's the opposite way around. It's like, he's centre stage, whereas they're almost the ones helping him because mm-hmm. of the whole hermit that closes himself yes, in, giving closes him the door. again. Yeah. And it was just... And See, that sort of stuff would make me cry, Darren. Oh no, there's there's no there's no cry moments. I thought it was just a good good, good wholesome Feel family. Good. Like in terms of a family film, like it's it's been a while since I've seen a film just go. I just really enjoyed sitting through that right. the whole way, and it was just it was something you could sit down with anyone. Like brilliant. Like that's what I need because my four year old Hannah, I will go to the Paw Patrol mm. mo- movie, but it's not for me. Whereas I think no. two little sounds like it might be for the two of us. Oh, definitely. Like there was so many moments where I just full on belly laughed oh, just lovely. from just just from. Innocent humour. Lovely. And like, I'm sure the kids around you belly laughed as well who were in the oh, cinema. Yeah. Oh, and I, I like love it. to hear that in a movie. Like there was so much laughing throughout that film. Again, it, it doesn't really seem like, you know, you get your whole fantasy adventure film, but mm. the laughs in that film were so good. Brilliant. And the, the good, good, good sense of action as well, I thought. Okay. You know what, Darren? We're going to have to find a movie that you're not going to like because yeah. you've had a really good run I've had a nice very good movies. run. Uh, Let's Black Pudding Doolittle starring Robert Downey Jr. Oh, I'd give it a solid nine to wow. nine and a half, like easily. <laughs> Okay. Oh, it was just it, in terms of a family film. It was just you, you can't get better than that. Great. And it's one of those ones that I would happily sit down again, and 
countless times watch it because and in any film like that you always kind of if you really like it there's always parts after it where you're going to find something mm. else that you like mm-hmm. but definitely would sit through that again okay well in the stormy weather you might enjoy sitting in and enjoying Doolittle which Darren went to see in the Odeon in Waterford uh, you can check out websites for all the other cinemas it's in in the southeast. but in the meantime thanks a million nine, nine and a half out of ten are we saying I would say nine and a half Phew, almost, nine and almost and perfect half. wow